Hey, you're listening to the podcast for Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana on Canal Street. My name is Brian, my wife Christy and I, Pastor Mid-City Vineyard. And you can learn a little bit more about us. Uh, check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church. Find us on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard, or on the web at midcityvineyard.org. This coming week, February the 18th, we will be celebrating our one-year birthday. And so if you're in the area at 6 o'clock p.m., we will be having a cake, and there will be a number of folks that will be talking about Mid-City Vineyard and how God has really been using the community of faith to move in their personal lives. Hey, on the podcast today, uh, we've been in a series entitled Seeds and Souls, and in this particular teaching, we are talking about thinking with God as we look in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Thanks for checking it out. Much peace to you. Tonight, we're going to conclude this series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks called Seeds and Souls, and I think I'm, I'm more excited about this particular teaching than anything else we've done in this series over the last uh, number of weeks. Sean read during communion, he read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and he read it uh, this evening out of the Message Bible, so if you, if you had not heard that translation before, that came from the Message Bible, which is just a really, really cool uh, translation of that passage. But the way you might be more familiar with that passage is in, uh, from, normally from the NIV. And this is what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then Paul says, listen, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Uh, in, in, in Peterson's version, in the message, he says, don't get so used to your culture. Here he says, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. Now, this is an incredibly popular verse. Uh, that If you have been affiliated with church in any way, shape, or form uh, for more than uh, a day or two, you've probably come across this passage. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so here's what my understanding of this has, has been and, and the understanding of many people that I've engaged with. It's, it's this idea that, okay, I, I need to study this. Be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I need to think on it. I need to really try it. And then I need to, I need to try it on. I, I, need to, I need to be transformed in my mind so that I am a more kind person uh, or, a, a, or a more generous person or uh, a more gracious person or a more merciful person. You know, my mind, I'm, I'm not merciful in my mind, so I need to become more merciful. I'm not kind. I need, and and that's, that's well and that's, that's, that's good. Uh, actually, that's what we've been talking about for Seeds and Souls this whole time is, is where Paul talks about putting on. Remember last week, Colossians uh, 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 chapter 3, where Paul says, put on the things of Christ. Put on patience and kindness. And, and Okay. So in that space, Paul talks about that. Put these things on. But we've often interpreted Romans 12, 1 and 2 that way, too. You know, it's kind of like I, I just I need to be transformed so that I, I think uh, I'm more kind, more, more merciful, all of, all of these kinds of things. Or... 
we've been taught, this is, uh, this is actually more the way I was taught, hey, look, you need to be transformed in the renewing of your mind uh, so that you know uh, what God's purpose is for your life. That's kind of how I was taught. That's how that last, pa- that last part was, in, um, was interpreted, so that you will know God's good, perfect, and pleasing will. So you will know what God's purpose is for your life. So make sure you're, you're being transformed. Okay, here's, here's the thing about this. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is not just about uh, don't conform to the world. It's not just about abstaining from bad things, so to speak, bad. It's not just about getting God's direction in your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2, what Paul is really saying here is, listen, I want you to be transformed in such a way that you actually begin the process of thinking thoughts with God. That you would actually become, uh, that you would be begin moving in a direction where you are thinking the same kinds of thoughts that God himself would be thinking in particular situations. And so I've titled this Thinking with God because here has been my experience with many Christians, myself included, if I uh, would say, is that we learn certain things along the way about God. We learn how God might act in a particular situation. We learn what God might do. And we, we learn these things fairly early on in our, in our Christian education, in our early church life. And then what happens is we have finally figured out the box that God belongs in. And so we say, okay, this is how God is. I know this is how God is because someone told me this along the way. And so now I can put God in this box. And anything that doesn't look, uh, anything that remotely looks outside of that box, then I know, plain and simple, that it is not God. So I find it interesting, though, that Paul says, hey, listen, continually be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul seems to say, be saying, and he does this in Romans, he does this in Galatians, he does it in Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. He continually is saying this kind of thing like, hey, don't stop growing up. Keep moving. Keep going with God. Keep seeking what God is doing, as if God is much bigger than any of the boxes that we might be able to put him in, and that God is continually revealing God's self to us, that God is continually uh, growing us in, in the ways of God. Maybe we don't have it all figured out and connected. So what might this look like? Think about 2,000 years ago in uh, Palestine where Jewish men and women have been living, ha- had been living now for, for centuries. Jews had many, many, many rules. If you remember back through any uh, of your readings in the Old Testament, uh, particularly, there's, there's books that give you all of the rules, the book of law. Uh, if you read through, go, go home tonight and uh, read through Leviticus. Well, okay, you might not. It's, it's rather boring. <laughs> but if you read through Leviticus, you, you're overwhelmed at just how many rules there were. It's fascinating, though, because from Leviticus all the way up until 2,000 years ago, up until the moment Jesus arrives on the planet, the Jewish men and women knew 
how God was. They knew everything. They knew what God expected. They knew what God did not expect. They knew what they could eat. They knew what, uh, what days they could work. They knew what kind of work uh, was allowed on certain days. They knew all, I mean, they, it was just, it was a society of the law. And good Jewish men, because they had more of the opportunity for the education than the Jewish women, but good Jewish men who would spend their lives developing and, and learning the, the Pentateuch and being in the, the synagogue and, and studying under rabbis, I mean, they could, they could recite much of, if not all of, those first five books of the Old Testament. I mean, they, they knew this stuff. So they knew how God was. One of the ways that God was, according to their understanding, was that God was for the Jewish people. According to their understanding, God was for the Jewish people and God was against everyone else. See, in, in typical Jewish understanding, what the Jews were waiting for 2,000 years ago was for God to once again establish God's kingdom on earth, that God would send a Messiah, that God would send a king in the line of David, and that this king would come and that this king would uh, destroy all of Israel's enemies. And that this king would place Israel and the Jewish people back on top in a place of position and in a place of power. So as, as you, as you uh, study and as you learn and as you, you try to wrap your mind and, and thoughts around, well, you know, what was the deal? Why, why didn't anyone like Jesus, especially the, the Jewish people of the day? It's because Jesus did not look anything like what they expected the Messiah to look like. Because Jesus wasn't destroying enemies. Jesus was saying crazy things like, hey, love your enemies. And the Jewish men and women of the day were, were thinking, no, uh, we, we need to destroy our enemies so that we can be in a place of power once again. So you have this, this worldview of sorts, and this is what's going on. One of the other incredible rules, laws of the day, uh, was that God was for the Jews as they understood it, and God was against the Gentiles, anyone who was not Jewish. Another law was the, the regulations on food, what they could and could not eat. There were certain Leviticus chapter 11 uh, gives this whole list of foods that the Jewish men and women could eat and a whole list of foods that they could not eat. They could not eat anything unclean, and it's weird. Like they could, any like different types of birds and reptiles, and they couldn't eat pigs. I mean, so these guys never experienced bacon. You know, it was like it was sad. I know, right? They're paying attention. <laughs> these guys never had bacon uh, because it was unclean. Okay, now track with me here. This is their understanding. This is who God is. These are the rules. If we go to Acts chapter 10, there's this amazing thing that happens. Peter, a, a, an amazing Jewish man who has now encountered Jesus. But just because you encountered Jesus, we've talked about this for weeks, doesn't mean that just bam, everything makes sense. Because we must understand that no matter when, or, or, or depending on when and how we encounter Jesus, if we don't encounter Jesus where we recognize it, until we're 50 years old, do you realize that you have 50 years of worldview, you have 50 years of teaching, you have 50 years of, of experience, you have 50 years of stuff, so just because you meet Jesus doesn't mean all that stuff just gets assimilated into 
uh, Jesus' thoughts. And that's why Paul says things like, be transformed. Like, get your hands dirty. Get in this thing and cooperate with God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So let's go back to Peter. He's, he's in the same boat. Peter knows Jesus. Peter walked with Jesus. Peter spent three years uh, intricately connected to Jesus. Peter's on the roof one night in Acts chapter 10. He goes up to this roof to, I, I don't know, he's to probably smoke a cigar. And, and he's up on the roof, and he's hanging out, and it, the scripture just says that all of a sudden Peter went into a trance. Uh, you know what, let's, let's read it, uh, which makes it. Acts chapter 10 is what I'm going to read to you, and it, let's see, here it is. Okay, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey, Oh, Peter went on the roof to pray. Sorry, that's what he, was, he went there to pray. That's, that's, that's why you got you to get back to the scripture, you see? Um, okay, so now we've got that cleared up. And it says that he became hungry and that he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, in the trance, which maybe it was like a vision of sorts, I, I'm not sure how that worked. It says that Peter saw heaven open and he saw something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. And in it contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Well, surely not, Lord, said Peter, for I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time and said, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was then taken back up. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent uh, by Cornelius, this Gentile from afar, they found Peter at his house. They stopped at the gate, and they called asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And uh, Peter, while he was still thinking about this vision, the Spirit said, Peter, three men are looking for you, so I want you to get up and go downstairs. And don't hesitate to go with these men, because I have sent them. And Peter went down, he said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? And the men said, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. He is respected by Jewish people. He's not Jewish, he's a Gentile, but he's respected by Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into his house to be the, uh, his guest for a short time. Now, put yourself back now in Peter's position. Peter is a man who knows the scripture. Make no mistake about it. Peter knew the scripture. He knew the Old Testament scripture. Not only that, Peter knew Jesus. I mean, like, knew, knew Jesus. Peter walked the planet with Jesus. The thing that Peter had to continue doing, though, just like every single one of us in the room, is Peter had to continually keep submitting his will, submitting his thoughts, submitting his worldview, Submitting uh, his understanding of how things work. He had to continually keep submitting these things to God because God was continually transforming and shaping and molding 
even Peter, just like God is doing with you and with me. Now, Peter sees the vision, and he already knows this is unclean food. He knows it. He understands it. And yet, God says, that's not how we do things anymore. Peter knows that God is not for the Gentiles. Peter knows this. I, I mean, can you wrap your head around this? Peter knows it. This is not Peter thinks God's not for the Gentiles. This is not uh, Peter hopes God's not for the Gentiles. This is Peter knows that God is not for the Gentiles. God is a God for the Jews. He knows it. And yet, it turns out that what Peter knows is wrong. God says, don't call anything unclean that I am calling clean, that I am purifying. And Peter, from this point on, and he, he screws it up a, a little bit later again, but from this point on, Peter understands that the ministry and the, the gospel, the good news of the reconciliation of Jesus Christ, uh, through Jesus Christ to God, is for all people. And so now Peter goes to Cornelius. He preaches to Cornelius. Cornelius and his family are baptized, and the message of Jesus Christ begins to spread even more. Later on in the Gospels, or I'm sorry, in the book of Acts, we see that Paul and Barnabas feel an, an actual um, stirring to, to go to the Gentile people, the non-Jews, more than anybody else. And, and, and him and Peter getting a little bit of a tiff about it, and Peter, again, has to have his mind continually transformed and renewed and moved forward. Now, I find in my own life, and, and this, is, this is where I think we, uh, we go with this, I desire, for all of us really, to be fully human. And what I mean by that is, is God has created us as human beings. He's not created us as angels. He's not created us as robots. He's not, you know, God has, like, humanity is something beautiful that God, that God, is, God is excited about Humanity. God is excited about your humanity. Sometimes you get discouraged with your own humanity, as do I, but, but your humanity is, is good and true, and it's beautiful. But to truly be fully human, a person must continue to, to press into the ways of God. God is the one who transforms us, who, who, who moves and ebbs and flows through us and raises us up and creates us and forms us and shapes us to be more fully human. And to be more fully human is to reflect more and more of the life and the beauty and the glory of who God is. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for. And what has happened is that we have this opportunity now because we have uh, we've been, we've been uh, brought into Christ as followers of, of, of Jesus. We're in Christ now, which means that we are in Christ. We, we, have, we have lost our lives in Christ. Christ is in us. And now God's saying, submit, surrender, follow, listen, let me lead. But while I'm leading, I want you to learn to think with me. I want you to think with me about stuff. Just because you might have learned something somewhere along the way doesn't always mean that that's exactly the, the road that I'm, I'm taking you down right now. 
Now, the way we do this is I, I always have to, I always want to put this in because I don't want us to get willy-nilly. This, I, I, I said it before, Christianity is not me and God. Christianity is we and God. And so you, you, you can't just go off and, and just decide, now it's just me and God now, and whatever God says, I'm just going to do it. And, and then we, a lot of times people just get themselves in all types of trouble uh, justifying all kinds of bizarre lifestyles and doing all kinds of things. Well, God said it's okay. Okay, there's there's still a there's still a community of faith and there's still the witness of the Spirit and there's still all these amazing things, gifts that God's given us to to move us forward and to transform us. But let me let me give you a very practical, very personal and a very practical example of of what I'm talking about. And it's it's kind of it's a Peter moment in my own life. Um, now. When I talk about this, for whatever reasons, uh, a lot of times people immediately take this to the political arena, and I'm not, I'm just telling you right up front, I'm not approaching this from the political arena. Uh, I'm approaching this from what I understand to be the, the kingdom of the world as it contrasts with the kingdom of God. But I was raised in a way, and I was raised in a Christian home, but I was raised in a way that Romans chapter 13 uh, expressed to us that human beings on the earth are supposed to submit to uh, the government uh, in, in all forms and shapes. Matter of fact, let me, let me read this particular thing to you because this is where the argument came from. And hang with me for this example and then we're going to spend a little a moment on reflection here. Because this, I think this can, um, shows what, I, what I'm trying to say on, on transformation of the mind renewing of the mind. In Romans 13, this is a, this is a particular passage, uh, who, uh, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Uh, do you want to be free from fear, uh, fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Okay, now I'm not going to teach on Romans 13, uh, and, and I, I do respect government, I pay my taxes, uh, I pray for my leaders, so that's, I'm not going anywhere weird with that, okay? I was taught in, in my home that capital punishment and um, uh, the use of the electric chair was a bona fide thing and that Christians could just be okay with it because according to Romans 13, governmental rulers uh, were given the authority of the sword. And the way that was interpreted is that if governments decide that when someone kills someone uh, in society, if governments decide that it's best just to eliminate that person, then governments are allowed to do that. And so I always just kind of, I was taught this, you know, well, that's the government's decision. That's what, that's what governments do, and governments can execute people if governments need to execute people, and so be it. When I'm talking now about thinking with God, what has happened over the last uh, 10 years in my personal life is I've really pressed in in a much deeper way than I did as a, as a younger person to, to the real teachings of Jesus. I've, I've pressed greatly into Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, uh, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I have pressed in over the last couple of years. Somehow I got on this pathway, uh, but I got on this pathway of, of reading stories about um, people who were in jail and the experiences that they were having while in prisons. Uh, I started experiencing and reading stories about people who uh, would go to prison and actually found Christ 
uh, on, on death row. I started seeing stories about people who had found Christ on death row and then so turned their lives around that they became the most uh, amazing uh, uh, citizens, so to speak, in the jails. And they were discipling people and they were starting Bible studies and they were helping people in, uh, uh, learn how to read and with education, all kinds of things. Uh, there was a very famous case uh, a few years ago of a woman who was doing all these things and then she was still executed by the state of Texas. She had been on death row for some 25 years. In 25 years, her life turned around. You, you, see, you see where we're going with this. And so as I began to really actually surrender and submit to God on these things, and I started to wrestle with this, and I said, you know, God, I've always been taught that it's, it's okay for this to happen, and we've always used a particular scripture to, to justify this, but I feel like as a follower of Christ that this somewhat goes against the, the, the things that I see you teaching about, you know, you know like the, the, the simple things, like don't kill, um, or the things about, uh, I don't really, I don't see Jesus as being one who's into retributive justice. I see Jesus as one who is into restorative justice. Jesus is the model for me as to what it is to see someone restored. You know, to be taken from the, the worst place that they could have ever been and see Jesus raise them up and restore them. And so over time, I began to think with God, and I, I, I fully believe, and I, I, you know, unapologetically, I believe that I have the heart of Christ on this, that capital punishment is not something that is good for the human race. I, I don't think it's good for, for any government who, who chooses to practice it, uh, because it, it's, it's the snuffing out of life. And to me, that's not consistent with who God is. I would compare this to Peter. You see, Peter was saying no to the Gentiles, but that was not consistent with the beauty of who God is. And so Peter must allow God to move out of this box and say, I want to change your thinking. I want to renew your mind because when your mind is renewed, you are more in position to be able to understand the will of God. You are more in position to understand the purposes of God. And the purposes of God, Peter, go beyond your Jewish understanding. The purposes of God, Brian, go beyond your understanding of a particular justice system. Does that, does that make sense? You know, the, the purposes of God are bigger. Now, what is... What does that mean? Here, here's what it means for me. What is a, a practical application of this? Well, it means that I now, and I, I've been working on this, it, it seems to be taking a while, but I'm now looking for opportunities and I'm looking for avenues to actually potentially spend time with uh, inmates. Uh, I, have a, I actually have a friend. I, <laughs> this is no coincidence. I believe that this is a God thing, but I have a friend who is a... Uh, a defense attorney for death row inmates. She's friends with uh, Sister Helen uh, Prejean. You, you know the woman who wrote Dead Man Walking? Oh, Dead Man Walking was another integral part in, in the transformation. I think God uses all kinds of stuff. But the movie Dead Man Walking with Sean Penn and Susan Sarandon, Sister Helen Prejean is the, the nun who spends time with death row inmates. And this woman, who is a lawyer now, has all kinds of inroads and all kinds of things. And so I just see that these, this, is, this is not something that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm out just you know, shouting about, even though I, I, you know, I, I do get on that 
activist side a little bit, but not, not a ton, because I'm trying to put my energies towards, you know, okay, God, so, so, so what? I'm in no position to get rid of the death penalty, and I don't know that God needs me to be. But what I can do is use my gifts and use my time and use my energy in the areas that God has gifted me and, and continue pressing into this. Because if I really believe in restorative justice, but maybe the death penalty is not going away, then what's my part? Well, let me get in and, 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 and participate with what God might be doing. Is that, does that make sense to you? So here's the thing. I think that God's always doing this with us. I think that God is always saying to us, I want to jump out of that box. You've put me in this corner, and you feel like, you feel like you've, you've got me figured out on this particular thing, but I want you out of this box. Come on. Think with me. Practically, how do I think with you, God? Sit down for a minute. And don't always assume that you're right already about everything. Yeah, but I've known God for 25 years. I know. Like, I, I, I've literally, now, now I, I have been actively pursuing God for 22 years. Yeah. And I'm still learning things saying, wow. Is it possible that God is like that? And if it leans towards being a little bit more loving, a little bit more merciful, a little bit more gracious, then there's a very good chance that that's not the kingdom of darkness. Okay? If it leans in that direction, then I would say pursue and ask God and surrender your thoughts. Surrender. And, and, and here's the biggest reason. This is how close. The biggest reason we don't surrender this stuff is because sometimes we don't want it to be true. I think that was Peter's biggest concern here. If I call this food clean now, that could literally change everything, God. You might ask me to do something that I kind of don't want to do. I'm not a real big fan of the Gentiles, and now I might have to become a fan of the Gentiles. So that's where we, <laughs> that, that's where the heart work really starts to come in. So tonight, just a, a, as a in a, a place of reflection for us. I want to invite us to, to stand together. And here's, here's what we're going to do. Christy is going to lead us in, a, in the litany for transformation. This turns out, I, this litany has been so powerful for me personally that this is the third week in a row that we're doing it uh, because I, I think it's taking me some time for it to really sink in. But she's going to read the, the, the non-bold parts and we will follow by reading the parts in bold. And after we're done reading this, uh, I'm going to pray for us, but then I'm going to ask us to stand for about 30 seconds, uh, maybe a little bit more, and just reflect upon the things that maybe we've been wrestling with God with, or maybe it's some of the stuff that we haven't been willing to wrestle with, and, and just see what the Spirit of God might, might reveal to you personally. Um, so Christy, if you would lead us uh, in this. We look to you. We want to see you. May we be willing to 
want to see you. May we be confident in our stature, our status as your beloved. We want to see you. May we count the kingdom as our highest treasure. We want to see you. So Holy Spirit, now we ask that uh, just in these next moments of silence that you would reveal uh, to each of us the things that maybe you want to put your finger on. And So I just encourage you, uh, just in your mind, under your breath, that our prayer would be, Holy Spirit, what are you inviting me into? Lord, may we be a, a people, may we be a church that uh, is continually being transformed by you. Lord, may we be a church that is continually allowing for the renewing of our thoughts, for the renovation of our imaginations. Lord, wherever we might have you put in a corner or wherever we might have you in a box, uh, would, you, would, you, would you just kind of pop out and surprise us and change us along the way? Thank you, Lord. And before, I, before we just... Uh, Pray a blessing over you. I, I want to say to you tonight that if if you're here and you need prayer for anything tonight, uh, we offer this every week. And 
kind of limited on those who take us up on it, but I really, I, I feel very strongly tonight that there are some things that God is doing and wants to do. And uh, I, think, I think we need to pray for each other. And so whether you're just physically fighting it off, uh, or if you are emotionally a wreck, or mentally or just in your life, whatever it is, if you if you need prayer tonight, I want to ask you to, uh, as soon as I, I bless us and, and we dismiss, I want to ask you to come up around the communion table, and uh, Eric and Sarita and Newman and Shay and Christy are going to come up here, and, and they're going to be there to pray for you. And so uh, I invite you to do that. And so now, church, as, as we go tonight, I pray that the Lord God, uh, the creator of all things, the one who is beautiful and true and just and gracious and merciful. Pray that this amazing God would cause his face to shine upon you. Pray that the Lord God this week would bless you, that the Lord God would keep you. Pray that the Lord God would give you peace. And to go a step further, that you would be through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within you, that you would be a minister this week of reconciliation, that the Lord God would give you eyes to see the marginalized, that the Lord God would give you eyes to see those on the outskirts, those that are hurt, those that are depressed, those that are in need, that the Spirit of God would give you words, would give you ideas, and we give you the boldness to step into cooperating with and thinking with God. We thank you for these things, Lord. Lord, may, may your kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven this week through what you are doing with your church in this city and all around this world. We pray these things tonight in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit. Amen.